in our own thinking don't understand. What do you mean I have to put myself last to be first? That doesn't even make sense. And then he said, you know what? If you want to um, receive, you need to give everything away. That makes no sense. He said all these sorts of things. He said, you know what? If you want to find your life, you've got to lose it. All these back to front, upside down ways of doing things that the world doesn't understand, but in them lie keys to finding our potential and the satisfaction in life that we're all craving and searching for. Because we'll admit that even though it makes no sense, the way that the world does things actually doesn't fill the voids in our heart. We have to admit that. Like everyone out there who's running around trying to look after number one, they're still struggling to find satisfaction. We're still seeing, you know, um, depression and anxiety skyrocket. We're still seeing all this devastation around us while the world is trying to do things that make sense. They're broken inside. And Jesus goes, well, why don't you just try doing it my upside down kingdom way and see if that works. And guess what? It works. And so we've been talking about the upside down kingdom the boys were complaining because apparently when I opened it and the first weekend of August, I preached all the paradoxes in one message. So then they were upset because they didn't know what to preach. Well, I just thought today that I would show you guys actually how many are still left. There's one that says that we're in the world and not of it, Sam. There's another one that says we find freedom by becoming bond servants. There's another one that says that difficulties become a reason for our joy. Come on. There's another one that says we see unseen things. Hello. So I think um, we need to do this whole theme again. And you boys need to not complain and actually read your scripture. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. If you pay out on me, I'm going to give it back to you. All right. <laughs> okay, anyway, it's been an awesome theme. And today I want to look at, at a theme, an upside down theme that I personally have had to um, grapple with in my own life because years and years ago as a young person, I decided I wanted to lead my life and I wanted to lead it well. And I decided, you know what, I didn't want to be limited by the things around me called limitations and weaknesses and shortcomings. And I decided all these things. And that's awesome as a teenager to go, I'm not going to be bound by my limitations. It's another thing then as an adult to walk those things through. Because as you get older, you realize actually how much you don't know. And you realize actually how many weaknesses and limitations you have and it reminds me of a Mark Twain quote that says have we got that Mark Twain quote when I was a boy of 14 my father was so ignorant that I could hardly stand to have the old man around but when I got to be 21 I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years <laughs> isn't that true and you know but teenagers are amazing and I think that in our growing we should never lose that capacity to dream wild dreams. We should never lose that passion and that fierceness that we had as, our, as, as young people to believe the impossible. Because one of the most tragic prospects for me 
is to live a life so aware of my weakness that I live a pale watercolor version of the vibrant life that God has for me to live. That scares me. That scares me to think I might become that person. But just as tragic, I think, on the flip side, is to live a life so arrogant and um, just ignoring my weaknesses that I follow my feet into destruction. There are two sides to this coin. The, The truth is, you and I are loaded with potential. I mean, jam-packed full, good luck trying to meet all of it in this lifetime. Because what God puts in us, the seed of heaven on the inside of every single person, is so rich and so potent. We're loaded with potential. But we're also really bound by a whole bunch of limitations. And so how do we do this? How do we do it in a way that we're aware of them, but we're not crippled by them? And we're bold enough to do the thing without being arrogant and foolish. And so I want to look at this biblical paradox that Paul writes about. If we can go to that scripture, um, it is found in 2 Corinthians 17. We'll do the whole passage, Adam, 7 to 10. Paul's writing... And he's writing about his weaknesses. Now, you have to understand the Apostle Paul started out as a man named Saul, who was a very well-known, well-educated Hebrew scholar. He was a Pharisee. And when Jesus died, rose again, and went to heaven, this new church emerged. It was called the Followers of the Way. And they started to be labeled the Followers of the Way, later to be called Christians. And men like Saul... um, were vehemently against this new religion, this new faith. And so Saul actually, because he was a top-ranking official of the day, he was the guy at all the executions of the martyrs. He was the one who stood by and watched it all happen. He was the one that persecuted them, judged them, sentenced them, and witnessed all these things take place. And he has this amazing encounter with the Spirit of God on the road to Damascus, on his way to judging a bunch of followers of the way, he encounters the Spirit of God, he gets knocked off his horse, he's blinded, and the Spirit of God speaks to him and says, why do you hate me, Saul? And in that moment, a lot in his life changes. Can you imagine? He's like, wow, okay, this is actually real. What am I doing? And changes everything and becomes the apostle that writes most of the New Testament. Most of what we hold in our Bibles is written by this man. And he um, evangelizes most of the known world. When I went to Rome and I walked the cobblestone streets of Rome, Sam and I did the pagan Rome first where we saw the Colosseum, we saw the Trevi Fountain, we saw um, all the temples, all the, these beautiful structures that in the day were pagan centers and pagan monuments and you know they worshipped other gods and all sorts of crazy Greek ideology. Paul went into those places and evangelized the whole thing and I'm walking the cobblestone streets going, Paul walked on this road. Paul turned this place upside down. The book of Acts and the New Testament all of a sudden came completely alive to me and the next day we went to the Vatican City and I just cried all day. I was like, oh my gosh, 
this man transformed the known world. But he's writing here because he went from being this prideful, self-confident man to a man very aware of his weaknesses. And I want to read this to you. It's powerful. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. We don't know what Paul's thorn was. But I've heard many Christians say, you know, I just got a diagnosis and it's the thorn in my flesh. I've got this situation in my family. It's the thorn in my flesh. We don't know what Paul... So God changed Saul's name to Paul. When he's writing, he is Paul. Um, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Listen to this. In light of our prayer requests, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Who wants this answer to prayer? But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insult, in hardship, in persecution and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. If that's not the most annoying biblical paradox there is, I don't know what else could possibly be. The fact that Paul came to a place where he's like, if he takes it from me or not, it's up to him. But I know the grace of God is sufficient for me. And I know when I'm in my moment of weakness is when Jesus, when God shines the most. So I want to look this morning at the paradox of strength forged in weakness. Strength forged in weakness. Can I have a show of hands? Is there anybody here who has no weaknesses? Good, good. Maybe just needy. I agree. I agree. (laughs) So this morning, we can all relate to what I want to share with us. How do we, I believe this, I believe that by the Spirit of God, we can turn our weaknesses into strengths. I do believe that. I also believe, because we're going to contrast Saul with Samson, I also believe that we can turn our strengths into weaknesses if we're not careful. So in the Old Testament, if you flip back there to the book of Judges, there are three chapters in the book of Judges in the Old Testament that describe this man named Samson. Samson was the original strong man. I mean, Paul was a nerd, a bookworm, right? Samson is a a muscle-clad warrior, muscly guy, warrior, leader of Israel. So the book of Judges is a, I guess, an account of all the people that were put over Israel as leaders, They were called the judges and the people would come to them with their issues and they would decide what to do in those situations. So Samson is the last of the judges and we read about him. He's a strong man physically and and the story goes like this, is that there was a man named Manoah and he and his wife were barren and couldn't have any children and an angel of the Lord appears to them and says, I want to give you a son. And that son will be set apart as a Nazarite. And so a Nazarite, he said, I want him to be one of the judges over Israel. And Nazarite had three rules. They couldn't um, consume alcohol. 
they couldn't cut their hair or shave, and they couldn't touch anything dead because it would make them ceremonially unclean. So he said to Manoah and his wife, "Um, for a season, you're not allowed to do any of those things either, and then you'll fall pregnant and you'll have a son. Now, that did happen. Samson was born, and it says in the scripture that the Lord started to bless the young man as he grew. Amazing. It actually says it, that God came upon Samson in the form of blessing and favor and blessed him. And so then we see Samson as a young adult. So just remember, right, he's not meant to consume alcohol. He's not meant to touch anything dead and he's not meant to shave, his, shave or cut his hair. They're the prerequisites of the word of God on his life, okay, for him to lead in the power that God has for him. So he's a strong man with the call of God on his life great godly parents, an awesome setup. This guy had everything going for him. And we see him as a young adult starting to make life choices. And the first life choice he made was to marry a pagan woman against the advice of his father. So he does that, finds himself in all sorts of trouble. Then we see him using deception to elevate himself in public settings We see him over time doing some of the most irrational, impulsive, emotional things that lead him to his older years being captured by his enemies, the strong man captured by his enemies and he spends his last days in a prison, a Philistine prison, grinding grain with his eyes gouged out. I mean, I read it. And I think Samson was undoubtedly the biggest tool in the shed. I mean, if I meet him in heaven, I won't know what to say. Honestly, like the biggest fool in the Bible. Hands down, stupid. Just so annoying. And he had everything going for him. He is a perfect example of the fact that how you start out doesn't determine how you finish. Because he had everything going for him. He had godly parents. He had the blessing and the favor of God on his life. He had anointing. He had gifting. He had the endowment of gifting and strength. And he stuffed it. He absolutely had a great start and a terrible finish. And so I want to look at this because I started going, okay, Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. And so somehow there must be a way to turn weakness into strength. And what is it that Samson missed that turned his strengths into weaknesses? And as I started asking this question, as I started, I journal, I have a journal in every room of the house and I scribble every thought that I feel is a download from heaven. And I started asking this question, what is it, God? What's the key? What's the difference in that gap between strength and weakness and vice versa? And I believe it's teachability. And so I drew this diagram. We all have weaknesses and we all have strengths. With the presence of teachability, those weaknesses can turn into strengths. In the absence of teachability, our strengths become weaknesses. The difference between Saul, uh, between Paul and Samson, I believe, was teachability. Teachability. I mean, have you ever met that person? 
so gifted, so much potential, even anointing, and they just miss it. They just miss it. And you just want to grab them by the shoulders. Like, come on. Come on. You're awesome. You have so much going for you. Why are you making those stupid decisions? And I believe I've seen time and time again is a lack of teachability. A lack of teachability. And I looked up the thesaurus for the word teachable. Do you know, you know how the thesaurus always lists all the words that mean the same thing and then the opposite ones? So can I tell you what the opposite of teachable is? Stupid. Wow. And I think that the Bible's a little bit more gracious because in Proverbs, it doesn't call us stupid. If we're like that, it calls us foolish. Either way, it's something we don't want to be. All right? We don't want to be foolish or stupid. So we want to be teachable so that we can act, we can, we can actually turn our weaknesses into strengths. I'm excited by that. I'm very aware of what my weaknesses and limitations are. And because I made a commitment to myself years ago that I would lead my life well, I have to learn how to turn them into strengths. And I believe it is a heart of teachability. I love it. Okay, so teachability to the Spirit of God. We have to become keen listeners and obedient to the voice of God in our lives. And the opposite of Samson. (laughs) Samson tells us what not to do, all right? So this morning, I want to flip it because I could just point out all the negatives to you, but that's not going to help you. I want to flip what he did that was stupid so that we can actually be wise and turn our weaknesses into strengths. The opposite of what Samson did. So teachability forges weaknesses into strength by four things. I wrote down eight, but I know you don't want to be here till tomorrow morning. So let's just do four. And the first one is teachability forges weakness into strength by acknowledging God's authority. Samson was called and anointed by God, but he refused to seek God. He refused to submit himself to godly counsel. He refused to acknowledge God as the authority of his life, as the source of his life, as the source of his blessing. It is not the universe that is blessing you. And you are not a self-made success. You may very well have pushed some doors open and created opportunity for yourself, but it was actually the Lord who endowed you with gifts before you were born. We have to catch that concept, and it's something that Samuel never did. Uh, Samson never understood. He never gave God the credit for the authority that he had in his life. Never. And every time his father tried to give him godly counsel, he outright ignored it. He never went to the people, he never went to godly counsel, and he never ever went to the mandate on his life, which was, you know what, don't do one, two, three. He never did that. And so we see him following his own feet into destruction. Now, the reason that this leads to strength, the reason acknowledging authority leads to strength is actually so important. It's because when I acknowledge God as my authority, I now tap into his limitless resource. 
And so I'm no longer relying on myself to become something. I know and I acknowledge the fact that I was designed by a creator. And so when I tap into his authority, I know I'm going to tap into the potential that was designed for me. I'm not trying to do it in my own strength and on my own. That's so limited. But when I tap into a limitless God, my weaknesses are no match for his resource. And so we flow in that grace like Paul writes about. My grace is sufficient for you. Just tap into the grace that I have for you. You will be amazed at the potential that starts to grow and the capacity that starts to grow beyond your own ability when you acknowledge God as the source of who you are. And everything that lies on the inside of you, he activates that because he put it there. We're so limited when we don't acknowledge that. And so, you know what, how do we do that in a practical sense? What's the opposite of what Samson did? Firstly, so if Samson ignored the godly mandate on his life, what that means is that we, a lot of Christians are like, you know what, I just need to pray about that decision. And so many times I just want to go, read the Bible. You actually don't even need to pray about that. It's in black and white. It's in the Bible. Stop spiritualizing it and just do what the Word of God says. So number one, to submit to the authority of God is to just submit to the Word of God, which is what Samson didn't do. And the other thing is to be teachable to um, spiritual fathers. He was not teachable to his father. And we live in a day where there are podcasts and all sorts of things available at like at a click. And I want to say there are a lot of voices and not very many fathers. And we need to be careful that we're submitting and we're teachable to God's authority through people who actually have access to your life. Because you can't just say, oh, you know, well, I heard Mark Driscoll say something and I'm going to submit to that. Unless you can actually have some form of access to him, that can be a dangerous place to be. And so we need to, young people, submit yourself to the authority that God has put over you in your godly parents. I would have saved myself a lot of pain if I had just listened to my mother. No teenagers are clapping. <laughs> but it's the same. We can, we can, even in our adult years, become unteachable to the spiritual fathers around us. Amen? So that's one is teachability acknowledges God's authority. This is awesome. Number two, teachability allows me to fail forward. It allows me to fail forward. Do you know failure is not a destination? Failure is not a label and a name that you have to wear. Failure is just an event. But it it can be a recurring event (laughs) if we aren't learning something through it. So teachability allows me to fail forward. Failure is not the end. It is not a destination. It's just an event. And you can use that to catapult you profoundly and powerfully into your future with a teachable heart that learns. We see Samson 
making very, very costly mistakes over and over and over again, and he never learns. He never learns his lesson. I remember growing up, sitting with my dad, and he had this thing, statement, this question he always used to ask me. Can I do it in your accent? <laughs> I'll do my best, hey? Authentic, okay. He's Polish, and um, he used to say, Karolina, what is the definition of a lunatic? And I'd heard it a hundred times, so I knew what the answer was, but I'd go, I don't know, Dad. Someone who does the same thing over and over and over, expecting a different result. That's the definition of a crazy person. Someone who does the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. If you're going to do the same thing, you're going to get the same results. If you want a different result, change it up a bit. And so teachability allows me to fail forward. It allows me to learn from my mistakes. It allows me to learn from other people's mistakes. And do you know what? This is the beautiful thing about God from my own personal experience is when we do make a mistake, when we do, when we submit to God, to Jesus, to the Word of God, He comes he heals, he restores, he protects, and he brings everything back into alignment. My own testimony is that, especially in my young years when I made some, uh, you know, a series of bad decisions and found myself in a place where the consequences started catching up with me. And I found myself in a dark place, and in that moment, I remember saying, God, even if you never fix anything, I've realized that life without you is a complete loss. Just come and sit in this dark pit with me. Even if I never get out, would you just be with me? And from that point on, he started to go before me and change things on my behalf. Honestly, he healed my body. He transformed the prospect I was looking at. And in Romans, in Romans, it describes it so perfectly. It says, For we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. When we have a teachable and surrendered heart, he actually works things out. He really does. And we don't know how. We don't know. Honestly, I don't know how he does it. But he goes before a submitted and teachable heart and allows us to fail forward. Allows us to fail forward. Failure is just an event. Don't camp there. You're not defined by that. It is not a label for you to wear for the rest of your life. Don't stay there. Ask the hard questions. Skill yourself. If you know the areas of weakness in your life, skill those areas. Strengthen those areas. Ask yourself the hard questions so you can learn so that next time you'll be better. Staff your weaknesses. And what I mean by that is make sure you have an action plan for next time that might come around. Make sure that next time around you're going to be a bit smarter than you were last time and you'll actually be failing forward, moving forward. Have a plan for next time. 
Number three, is anyone getting anything out of this? Number three, teachability safeguards me from emotional responses. Samson was really impulsive. At one point, (laughs) he burned down an entire field of grain and his father-in-law's house. Now, I know some of you may have felt like doing that at some point in your life, burning down the in-law's house, and you thought better of it. Good on you. Well done. Samson didn't. He went ahead and burnt the thing down. On another occasion, he killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. All right, firstly, the jawbone of a donkey is a dead thing. Shouldn't have been touching it. He kills a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. And the Bible says the jawbone of an ass, but I personally believe there's only one person in the story who deserves that name, and it's not the donkey. So he kills a thousand people because he's mad. He's just mad and a thousand people have to die. And so I'm going to pick up this thing I shouldn't be touching and I'm just going to be impulsive. And his whole life is just made up of these stories of him just getting mad and just doing dumb stuff. He's impulsive and he's emotional because he's unteachable. He's unteachable. Samson was self-seeking and he was driven by urges of self-gratification. Proverbs 25, 28 says, Like a city whose walls are broken, down, broken through is a person who lacks self-control. If you want to turn your fortified city into a pile of rubble, then just be impulsive and emotional. It's a great way to turn strength into weakness. It's to be impulsive and emotional. But James says to us, James is awesome. James 4, 6 to 7. But he gives us more grace, which is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives favor or grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How awesome is that? What he's saying, James is going, you know what? God gives you grace for that really heated moment. That moment that's coming at you with temptation where you want to make an impulsive decision and act on that temptation. What he says is two things. Two things. Are you ready? Submit, teachability, and resist. And when when I do those things, I have the power to kick that devil in the butt and he goes running from my life. Submit and resist. Submit and resist. Teachability allows me to be safeguarded from being an emotional person. Amazing. My weakness can become strength when I submit, resist, and imply God's empowering grace. Just pause. Sleep on it for a night or a month. Don't act on that emotional impulse. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen? It's awesome. And the fourth one, and the one I'm really excited about, is that teachability corrects my perspective. It corrects my perspective. Unfortunately, all of the leaders, most of the leaders, maybe only Deborah was the only one who wasn't, but most of the leaders in the book of Judges had really short-lived and ineffective terms of leadership. 
most of them. And the saddest thing for me is that Samson was the last judge. He never reproduced himself. And what we see as a common thread right through the book of Judges is the fact that they cared more about their own fame than making God famous among his people. Their perspective was like introspective, navel-gazing, limited, small thinking. It's just about me and my moment in the spotlight. You know what? They set up all sorts of things in honor of themselves. And these types of people, they may look flash and impressive for a moment, but they're just shooting stars and they're gone the next. The saddest thing for me is when I'm unteachable, all I care about is me. And I'm looking like this and my vision is small. And I want to say to us here this morning, the smaller the vision, the smaller the influence. The smaller the vision, the smaller the influence. The cool thing is, is that we need to come to a place where we lift our eyes and we ask for God's vision. We ask for His perspective. Because when I see that, I can look over the top of the smallness that's happening immediately around me and I can see what God sees. And it's bigger than me. And you know what? The amazing thing about teachable people, about Paul, He reproduced himself into the lives of others. He left a legacy. And we can't leave, we can leave stuff, but stuff is nothing compared to the deposit we put in people's lives. You know, this is the bit where some people get it and some people don't. Because it's so easy to live a Kim Kardashian life that's all about your hair color and the size of your shoes, the heel on your shoes, and all about you. Sorry, that's for the ladies. For the guys, I don't know, the muscle car. It's all about me and it's all about how I look and how I feel and how I'm being gratified. And that's what Samson did. It's all about me. Small vision, small influence. Limited influence. They're like shooting stars. Wow, oh, gone. Where'd they go? Gone. Nothing left to show for it. And so I just want to encourage us because this is something you can't manufacture. I've heard so many people, you know, we look at successful companies who do awesome things and they've got the, and they, and other companies look in on them and go, they've got a vision statement. We need a vision statement. Let's, let's just, let's make up a vision statement. That's the answer. The, the vision statement is the answer. In essence, it kind of is, except that unless the vision comes out of a vision, it's just a bunch of words. It makes no difference. And so we need to come into a place where we're connecting with the Spirit of God so that we're seeing what He sees. Now the difference that separated Paul and Samson, because they both started out as prideful men, they both started out as leaders among their generation with everything on a platter in front of them. But the thing that separated them was that Saul, who became Paul, had an encounter with Jesus. He had an encounter with Jesus and it changed everything. And that's where it has to start from. That's where it has to flow from. A place of awareness of who Jesus is. He is real today. He is alive today. His presence is here and it is among us and He has the power and authority to transform our lives. 
if we would just connect with Him, if we would just receive Him. Why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes this morning because I'd love for us to meditate on that for a moment. The thing about Samson and Paul is that they both, in essence, grew up knowing about God. And we do live in a Christian nation. Most people have a concept of God. But Samson only had a concept of God, whereas Saul got a concept of Jesus. The revelation of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And here's the story. Jesus, the Son of God, the embodiment of the presence and power and spirit of God, laid aside all his kingly authority to walk this earth among you and I. And a lot of people are like, why did he do that? He did it so that he could relate to you and me because he was no longer some God in heaven a long way away. All of a sudden, he was just like me. He was just like you. And he was walking the same earth that we walk and he was facing the same challenges that we face. And then he took himself to the cross and he allowed himself to be crucified. Why is that significant? Because you and I, we were meant to pay that price because the cost of our sin and our failure is actually death, eternal death, eternal separation from God. But our God, because he loves us so much, couldn't stand the thought of that. He couldn't stand the thought. He knew if we were to pay the price that was actually ours to pay, He would never have us back to Himself. And He couldn't stand that. So He sent His Son to pay the price for us. And He did do that. He died on our behalf. He paid for our sin. Then He was buried. And three days later, He was resurrected. Why is that important? Because it means that He overcame death. Not only did he pay the price of our sin, he overcame the power of it, the bondage of it over our lives in an ongoing way, both in this life and into eternity. And he's coming back for us. He's coming back because he loves us. And you know what? Samson only knew this God who was a bunch of rules over his life. And for most people, that's what the church looks like. But Saul had an encounter with Jesus who said, why do you hate me? Don't you know I have love for you? Don't you know I have grace for you? Don't you know that I died for you? Stop hating me. I just, I love you. I want you back to myself. And that changed everything about him. And there are many in this room this morning, and you've actually been in church for a long time, but you've never actually had an encounter with the presence and the Spirit of God in a way that transforms your name, your thinking, your approach to life, transforms your perspective from just yourself and your existence to what actually the fullness of the potential that God has placed in you for others and for the world that you live in. Maybe you're here and you've never, ever encountered God. You've never had a concept of church. I don't know if you're here for the first time or you've only been coming a little while but you know that you have no concept of this Jesus in your life, a revelation of Him in your life. And I just want to say, He wants to meet with you today. He wants to meet with you today. And it might happen right now. It might happen this afternoon when you go home and you close the door, you get on your knees and you, you cry out to God. 
But the key here is, it starts with a revelation of Jesus in your life. Father God, I just ask this morning for that revelation to come and penetrate hearts. Lord Jesus, that we would be empowered by your grace. Father, I pray for a teachability, a spirit of teachability to be keen listeners and obedient to your word and your voice in our lives. Father, that we would be, Lord, your children who are going from strength to strength, that we would make our weaknesses strengths by your grace, by your enabling power as we submit to that grace and we find ourselves in the unforced rhythms of grace. Father God, I just ask that you would continue to bless us. You would continue to speak to us into this house, that your word would stay fresh in this place and speaking to us and transforming us. We thank you that you're so faithful. You're so, so faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we give God some praise this morning?